Proverbs chapter 5, and I, was, I titled it last week, Sex Education Solomon Style. And I gave you the benefits of, of sexual purity, and I wanted to talk about some of the things today and next week as well. Uh, I'll tell you right now, if you're a note taker, you know, we're going to look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 14 here this morning. And then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 next week. And I've titled this, uh, again, a subtitle for it, you know, thinking about sex education Solomon style as we talk about Proverbs chapter 5. Uh, we'll continue and go into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're talking about why sex sins are worse than other sins. Uh, all sins, the Bible says, you know, ultimately can lead to death. But there is something very specific and very unique. And we're going to cover 10, 10 topics next week, 10 issues with regard to why sex sins are worse than other sins. And so whether you're a married person, it has nothing to do, you know, that uh, none of us are absolved from this. I mean, it can impact any relationship at any time. Um, and so again, it's important, obviously, because idolatry um, is, is so prominent in our world today. We'll talk about, you know, the sin of, of, of uh, promiscuity and the sin of uh, idolatry with regard to not only fornication and uh, adultery, but all the, the, it's the same act, basically. One is inside of marriage, one is outside the framework of marriage and the implications that it has uh, to us. And, and it'll make, I think, a lot of sense to us as you consider these things in light of where we're at as a country today. Um, you know, we're having obviously an identity problem in our country and people are struggling with who they are. And these are answers, the answers to these questions come straight from our Bible. And so we want to spend the time looking at these things. We want to talk about them, you know, and before we, we get into this this morning, as we read from, you know, chapter five of the book of Proverbs, you know, I know that this is a topic when we talk about human sexuality, that's uncomfortable for many people. And it's usually because of in most cases, not all cases, but it's because of sin. Whether you were a perpetrator of the sin and there's still a remaining guilt or just the, the things that have, you've suffered from because of your life, you, you don't want to go there. People, just like when they, we talk about our past life, they'll say, you know, I, I don't want to talk about that. That's, my, that's the old me, and I totally understand that. And, and yet we have to understand that we've been set free in Christ Jesus. He died for that sin, but it's still part of our testimony. It's not who you are, but it's what God worked in and through to bring you to where you are. And as Solomon is doing here in chapter five, as, as a parent, and I shared with you last week, you know, I'm growing up, my own dad would say to me, you know, Michael, you know, learn from me. And that's what Solomon, that's how he begins chapter five. He's talking to his son. He's going, learn from me. You, you recall, you know, first Kings reminds us that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So we know he did it wrong. Okay. He, he violated the plan, the principles, the commands of God. And so as a parent, you know, it's not that we always do everything right. Sometimes our children are going to learn because we do things wrong but it's being transparent before them. It's being vulnerable before them, knowing that we're forgiven. But I also know that there's people who've been victimized by, by you know, sex outside of the scope of God's intention, where it wasn't good, whether it was rape or incest and things of those things that, that occur in society. And now their whole concept of sexuality is tainted because something that happened to them. And so I recognize those things. So it's important, you know, when we look at these things that we try to be direct, you know, and, the, and it's important to be direct because when you're not direct, you end up creating more confusion. And I can, I can kind of prove it like this. How many, by a show of hands, that your parents told you, kiddingly or unkiddingly, at a very early age, when you began to inquire about where you came from, how many ever heard 
that you were delivered by a stork. Did anybody ever hear that? Yeah, you might have to be older for that, but said a lot of parents actually told their children they were delivered by a stork. And that's always you know, amazing to me because then when kids learn it and they learn the truth about it, whether they learn it from a family member or a friend or whatever from school, that they begin to go, wow, my parents are really messed up. You know, they, they, they really believe that you know, I was delivered by a stork. And, and that happens, and again, with the best of intentions, I think a lot of times is that they go, well, I don't want to expose my children to something, you know, that, that could be, you know, that's harmful or something that, you know, is perceived to be dirty or that is considered to be unclean. And you think about this is taught in Scripture, and you go, where was primarily the Word of God was taught in homes, but it was also then taught once the, the, both the temple and then now the synagogue uh, in our, for our Jewish friends, then the church, now for us as believers, the Word of God is taught. We, we teach the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and we teach it in the proportion that it's taught. So you don't want to take something to an extreme out of Scripture, but we want to teach it and deal with it as God himself deals with it. And, and obviously, this is something that is of extreme importance to him. But I do recognize, like I said, the need that we need to be direct in order to avoid confusion, which always leads me to a really funny story about a woman who was very um, chaste in her behavior, uh, very moral. Um, you know, some people might call her, you know, a prude. Um, and she was an elderly woman, been, been raised, you know, in, a, in a, a Christian home. And she was actually planning a vacation for her and her husband. And she didn't know how to address the, the question that she had for one of the uh, parks that, that she was going to be traveling with her husband to. So she was going to write a letter and she wrote it and she wanted to know if the campground that they were going to be staying at had a toilet. And so she wrote that and then she felt, oh, you know, I can't use the word toilet, you know, to write. She goes, that just seems so improper. And, and I don't know the gentleman that I'm writing to. And so she felt awkward. So she, she scratched it out, rewrote it, and then wrote the word bathroom commode, thinking that that would clean it up. And then she got done with bathroom commode and she thought, well, that just seems so improper. She goes, I don't want him to, you know, to, you know, find humor, you know, in my question. It's a serious question that I have. So somewhat embarrassed by her own thought process, she decided to just scratch that out. Instead of using bathroom commode, she goes, I'll just put the letters B slash C. And so she mails off the letter. The camp director gets the, uh, the letter and he begins to, to read it. And, and uh, he has no clue what... BC stands for. So he goes to his wife and he, he goes, what could this woman possibly, possibly be asking? She didn't know. So they went to some of the other campers that were there in the park that day. And they, do you know what she's talking about? They all concluded that what she was talking, it wasn't a bathroom commode, but it actually was a Baptist church. So he writes her this, this note back and he says to her, he says, uh, dear Mrs. Akers, I received your note inquiring about the BC. And I'm happy to report that there is, in fact, a BC located six miles from the campground. It's capable of seating 200 people. It draws quite a crowd. Some people come early. Others linger and they stay late. It's embarrassing to tell you this, but it's been years since my wife and I have gone. It actually pains me to tell you this as it just seems to become more difficult to go the older we get. The good news is this. When you get here, I'll be glad to go and sit with you there. 
I just want you to know, we are a friendly group of people. And, and you think about it, is, there is a point at time we need to be direct and not beat around the bush. And, and as you study through this text, and especially as parents, and especially as young people and older alike, you know, we, we do well to, to let the scripture speak to us and then ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand why do we fall into the positions that we fall into? Are we, because like I said, it does, if it's creating a discomfort is to ask ourselves as to why, because when God created everything, you know, we read the book of Acts in chapter 17, as I shared earlier, and it says, that it's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. The book of Colossians, in chapter one says that everything that was created was created by God and for God. So when God in Genesis, he created everything and that includes human sexuality, he said that it was good. It was always good until the fall of man. And when sin entered into the picture, then with that came death as well. And so in Proverbs chapter five, you look at this in verse one. And again, remember, this is Solomon. This is a father talking to his son, okay? And he's talking to him about, and we go back to, you know, chapter one and verse five, and he tells him, you know, to seek wisdom. And we talk about, you know, what is wisdom? And wisdom is different than knowledge. Knowledge is, is the accumulation of information, right? But wisdom is the application of it. And more than anything else, we live in a world today, as I shared with you as we started this study in Proverbs, knowledge is growing at, at a rate that is unprecedented in human history. We can't even keep up with it. And yet, Wisdom isn't the issue, or excuse me, knowledge isn't the issue. What we need is wisdom. And the Bible tells us that wisdom comes from God. And it's not a respecter of persons. Remember, Solomon was only a young boy, you know, when he became king. So Solomon asked, he didn't say, Lord, give me wealth or give me this. He said, give me understanding, give me wisdom. And so God answered his prayer. And he said, because you've asked for knowledge, because you've asked for wisdom, because I'm going to give that to you, but I'm also going to give you wealth. Solomon, apart from Jesus Christ, was the smartest person who's ever walked the face of this earth. But did he always apply it in his life? No. We know that from his relationship, you know, with having 700 wives and 300 concubines. So if there's anybody that knows now wisdom through failure, which only demonstrates the grace of God in all of our lives, amen? Because all of us are here, we've all failed in some way or another. Not everybody has failed in a sexual manner due to sexual sin, but we've all, the Bible says, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we can all learn from our mistakes. And that's part of how we overcome the accuser, because what does the enemy want to do in my life and your life? He's, he can only remember, he's not omniscient. Okay. You know, he doesn't know everything that you're thinking, but he can pound you with your past. And so it's important with our past to be what is to be forgiven of it. Romans chapter eight, verse one says, there is now, therefore now no condemnation. There's no downward judgment for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so that's the joy of, of knowing the forgiveness of God. It's what we'll celebrate the end of service today in, in communion. And what we'll do today when we receive communion, just to give you a heads up on it, I'll, at the end, I'll invite the worship team to come up and we'll receive it together. You'll come up, just get it and take it back to your chair and hold on to it. And we'll receive communion today, today as, a, as a congregation. We'll just take a moment and share it as a, before, before we send you out, you know, the service. And there's a station here and there's a couple in the back over there so we can practice social distancing and all that. But, um, you know, we'll do that at the end of the service. But it's important that we recognize and know the forgiveness of God in our life. Because then, you know, again, can, does God ever waste a hurt? No, because God works through all things, right? And, and again, can we praise him? We don't have to praise him for everything that happens, but he says, but all things work together for good to them that love God. 
So even in the midst of our sorrow and the pain, we saw that as we've been studying the life of Joseph, remember what his brothers did to him? Uh, he said, you know, for what the enemy, not his brothers, but it was the enemy working through. Just as God works through people, guess what? The enemy of our soul works through people as well. And he's done it in our lives before we came to know Christ. And so, again, knowing this, that again, God can capitalize. He's a capitalist. He capitalizes on everything that the enemy tries to utilize for his good. God can take that for his glory, even our sin, when we bring it to God. And when you experience the forgiveness of God, you'll find freedom in Christ. And that's what he wants. He didn't just come to save us from our sin in the sense of going, just continue in it then. Paul writes in the book of Romans, you know, God forbid that that would be our mentality that we think just because Jesus died, we could just continue living the same way that we once did. And he's like, no, he saved us from sin and he saved us to God so that way we could, as scripture calls us, to be holy as he himself is holy. That holiness would become important to us. And it's why, like I said, I'm gonna take an extra week on this because we are inundated in our culture today. We live in, I mean, talk about the degradation, you know, uh, of this culture. I mean, sin is so rampant around us. I mean, you, you can't have social media today without having to deal with the issue of pornography. It's just there. It's blatant. It is in our face. I mean, every way, place we turn. So I know that our kids today, uh, more than, you know, we ever were in our lives, are, are, are really struggling. And again, we know this from just the confession of sin and the dealing with trying to establish, you know, godly accountability in our life uh, that are going, hey, I need help in this area of my life. And, and so we want to be able to, to provide that help. And so here's Solomon, you know, as, as a father, you know, like I said, who knows his own failure, knows his own shortcoming. He says, my son, in verse one, pay attention to my wisdom. And you go, where did he get wisdom from? At the same place, James says, moms and dads, every one of us that we're going to get wisdom, where does wisdom come from? God. His word, it comes from the word of God. As we apply God's word, not just that we know it, James says, don't be just a hearer of the word, but be what? A doer of God's word. That's where the real blessing comes in here. So he says, lend your ear to my understanding to learn from God, something that, you know, you don't know. I would sit with my own kids. And I remember when they were just, you know, going into their teenage years and I would sit with every single one of them uh, and whether it was alone or collectively, because it happened numerous times. And I would tell them, I'd go to my kids, I'd go, honey, I go, how old are you? And my kids might th that age might go, dad, uh, I'm 12, you know, they're 12. Okay. And I go, okay, how old's dad? Well, you're 40 something years old. Okay. I go, have you ever been 40 something years old? And they go, no. And I go, has dad ever been 12? They go, yeah. And I go, okay, so you have to understand something here. Just like Solomon is talking to his children, I'm talking to mine. And I'm going, honey, I've been where you're at. I know you don't think that, but really I, I have. I've been there. I, I know the feelings. I know the hurts. I know the struggles. I know the temptations. But what I know in maybe ways that you don't is I know the failure as well. And see, a lot of times parents are afraid to be honest with their kids and, and instead of being truthful and being vulnerable and being transparent, you know, again, one of the things that we all appreciate about other people isn't that they're perfect because we know that they're not, but it's that they're real and they recognize that we are who we are because of who Christ is. Am, am, amen, am, am, <laughs> am. Yeah, <laughs> not going to go there. Uh, okay, <laughs> I was going to make a communion joke, but I'm not. I'll just let you guess on that one. But 
to know that, you know, I can share my failures with my kids and they can still learn. And one of the great blessings is, again, where the enemy doesn't get victory in my life and get victory in your life is when we can openly share our struggles and, our, and our, the things that we've, you know, fallen into sin in our life and know that we're forgiven of God. And that a lot of times that's when people don't want to share their past failures is because they're still present in their life because they haven't truly experience the complete forgiveness of God. As Psalm 103, if you're a note taker, write that down and go study it for yourself. As far as the east is from the west, says the Lord, he has forgiven our sins and what? He remembers it no more. Like I said, the only person who's going to try to pound you in that is going to be the devil himself. But when you understand and know that Romans 8 again, there's no condemnation. God isn't judging you. He judged his son on the cross. That's what we're celebrating today in communion is that Jesus died in my place. He didn't die just because of me. It wasn't you and I that just put him to death. He died for you. He died for me. Amen. That's the good news of the gospel, that there's no sin that you've committed past, present, or even future that God cannot forgive. That's his heart's desire. But in that forgiveness, it's not that we would continue in sin, but that we'd experience the liberty from sin. I mean, and that's where I think so many believers struggle today, especially with regard to sexual sin, because it's always before us and people just keep stumbling, you know, back into it. And we need to learn, you know, what God's plan and what his purpose is so that we can experience the freedom and enjoy within the framework of marriage, the pleasure that comes from a healthy sexual relationship. And so he says, lend your ear to my understanding that says that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. So what he's talking about is his applied knowledge. See, it's one thing to be, you know, James says, don't be what? Just a hearer of the word, right? But be what? a doer of the word. So you know, as well as I do, if you want to remember something, what do you do? You think about it and then what? You say it. And if you write it down and then you try to use it, right? The more of your senses that you use, the better the opportunity you're going to have and the likeliness that you're going to continue to comprehend it. Otherwise, it just goes, there's all kinds of things. You know, I say it all the time. I forget the things that I need to remember and I remember the things that I want to forget, you know? And so he's telling his son, he says that your lips may keep knowledge because he's given him a contrast here. And that's one of the things that we see in Proverbs is a contrast. He says, for the lips of an immoral woman drip honey. So what is he telling us right away? He's going, listen, guys, if there's anybody that knows, you know, sin is pleasurable for the moment. Okay. And, and that's what, you know, many in, in Christian don't want to try to paint this picture that somehow sin, sin isn't fun. And he goes, you don't understand, you know, dad, mom, you know, sin is fun. Oh, it's really fun. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't be doing it. But it is fun. But, but there's so much to glean from this. And, and I'll, I'll share this with you momentarily here. But he says, For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. He says, But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. And, and that was, you know, obviously poison is what he's talking about. Sharp as a two-edged sword. And so he gives that contrast there of what? Well, we, we, we hear the word or two-edged sword also speaking of what? The word of God being sharper than a two-edged sword, right? And so you have sword against sword here. You go, but we understand this. What is more powerful, sin or God's word? You know, the Bible says heaven and earth are going to pass away, but my word will what? Never pass away. When Jesus himself was led of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, what did he fight the devil off with? Did he use a physical sword? No, he used the word of God. 
and he prevailed. And what worked in Jesus' life, Jesus is saying will work in my life and your life. So he's saying, take my words, receive my words, because you're going to get into this battle. And the enemy wants to, he wants to chew you up and he wants to spit you out. You know, again, what do we see? You know, Peter writes, he says that the, that the enemy of your soul goes around like what? A roaring lion looking for whom what? He can give a massage to. No, it says that he can do what? Devour you. Yeah, he wants to destroy our lives. Jesus in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to what? To steal, to kill, and to what? Destroy. And if he's got to use pleasure, you know, to do it? Absolutely, because that's all he wants is to win in the end. And like I said, next week is we'll cover these 10 10 very specific things of why sex sins are worse than other sins. I think a lot of this will start to make sense to you in light of the culture in which we live today. And he says, and, but in the end, he said, she's bitter in verse four, as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps lay hold of hell. If you look in chapter seven, which you can just read this ahead, chapters five, six, and seven deal with sexual immorality. In chapter seven, it Solomon gives this great uh, image. He says, I stood at the, the door of my house and I looked, it was, I looked out the window of my house through the lattice. So can you kind of picture that? Like Solomon, like looking out through the lattice, like you just open the window up and you look out. And he says, and I perceived down on the street corner, the youth. And he goes in their simplicity, basically what he was saying is they're stupid. And because he was standing on a street corner in that day and age, it's not much different what else also sometimes stands on a street corner was a prostitute, right? And so there's a prostitute that's there on the street corner and he's watching this young person. And he says, and his feet follow her. He follows her. Then if you go down, I think it's in like verse 22 of chapter seven, and it, it really puts it into perspective for us. If you think about this, and he said, so I, I looked out the lattice of my house. I looked down on the street corner. There was this young man and he's dumb. He is like following this woman who's got lips that are like cunning, sweet, and he's following her like going to a candy store. And he says, but something he doesn't recognize. He goes, like an ox led to the slaughter, he follows after her. Okay, he doesn't take it into all the detail, but what a great image. Let me ask you a question, especially you that are young today, that, you know, aren't married, that are living in a promiscuous lifestyle thinking it doesn't hurt anything. You know what? It's pleasurable. Uh, like I said, we'll talk a lot about that today and next week. But let me ask you this. Think about this, where he says in verse 22, as an ox is led to the slaughter. What does an ox look like when it's going to the slaughter? Let, let's say that. It looks like an ox, right? Because that's what it is. An ox is going to the slaughter. Let me ask you this. How does an ox look when it comes back from the slaughter? It's in little white packages, right? That's how it comes back. You need, and again, you want to lock in on this because this is what leads to, there's four points here in this chapter in Proverbs 5 that kind of jump off the pages here. You know, what's important to recognize those that are practicing and living in a promiscuous lifestyle day, you're committing fornication or adultery. You're involved with a married person. Makes no difference. They're both sexual sins that lead to death. It says, her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life. Her ways are unstable. You do not know them. So here is how we summarize verses one through six. Keep the big picture in mind. 
If you could understand that, because you can talk to people who are on their deathbed, and they'll tell you 100% of the time when it's been sin that's ravaged their life. I had a friend that died of AIDS years ago, uh, one of the original cases in, in Bakersfield. And it was a good friend of mine. Didn't, at first, didn't even know, they didn't even know what it was, then discovered that, yes, it was AIDS, and yes, he was, he was living and practicing a homosexual lifestyle, and ultimately, you know, that... Uh, that's what took his life. And I can tell you this, back then, there, again, there, you know, obviously there's different ways to treat AIDS today, and I'm going to give you some statistics in a moment here. But I want you to think about this, that here's a guy that's living in, I mean, with open sores on his body, and he's dying, and he recognizes his sin at that point, and there's nothing he can do to end it. The beauty of it is, is there still forgiveness? Amen. And did he find it? Yes. Just like the thief on the cross. But did he destroy his life, this side of heaven? Absolutely. And he was the first to say it. He was going, if I only, as our parents, have you ever said this in your life? Like I have, if I only knew then what I know now, right? And this is what Solomon is saying as a good father, you'd be a good father or a good mother today to share this information with your kids. You'd be a great friend if you failed yourself instead of walking in our pride that you go, listen, I've been there. You know, the book of Revelation teaches us that we overcome the accuser by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony. It, it's, not, it's not shame to go that I was a sinner. No, <laughs> that, that's to the glory of God that he, in his graciousness, opened up our eyes that we could be born again. It, again, it, the glory is, is all about him. Otherwise, we're trying to glorify ourselves. And God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Amen. That's what he wants to demonstrate in our life is his goodness and his grace and his mercy. And so when you think about this, he's going to keep the big picture in mind. And if you could do that, you'd, you'd, you're going to do well because again, just like the book of Hebrews says of, of Moses himself, remember it says, I think it was at chapter 11 that he, he forsook the riches of Egypt and he identified with, the, with his brethren, the children of Israel. And you go, why? Because he knew that the, that the pleasures of the Egyptians were what? They were passing. And they were passing away. The Bible says that, you know, again, everything is passing away. We weren't created for a temporary existence on this planet. We were created for eternity. Amen. And if you and I would just get that thought into our mind and it would stay there and we remember and, you know, we remind one another, one of the great blessings we have of doing what we're doing today. I know that what I've already shared, if I stopped right now, there's something in many of your minds and your hearts, you go, I got what I needed today. That's right. Because you are ready to quit. You're ready to give up. You're ready to go a different direction. And the Bible says, when we come together, we love one another. We stir each other up to love and to good works. And you're hearing the Holy Spirit go, no, stay the course. Stay the course, stay the course. When everything in this world, in this society, in this culture is going, nah, you know what? If it doesn't feel right, doesn't feel good, don't do it because it's about happiness. It's about, you know, pleasure right now. And Jesus is going, no, no, no. It's store up your treasures in heaven where what? Neither moth nor rust can destroy. Thieves can't break in and steal. It will be there when you get there. And, and he makes us that promise. And he tells us that he's going to prepare a place for us. And one day he'll come back and he'll take us home. And so, again, looking at the eternal picture. So when you look at this as a parent, you know, as, as a young person here, older like, makes no difference, is that we need to live, would you agree, with an eternal perspective. And the more we live with an eternal perspective, actually the more joy we're going to experience now. Because we're not going to fall into all the pits and experience all the heartaches. And again... Does sin look 
good in the moment? Absolutely. He says it tastes good. He uses honey as, as an example there. So he's not downplaying it. Yes, sin is pleasurable for the moment, but the wages of sin is always 100% of the time what? Death. Man, and we need to remember that. No matter what the world says, no matter what it looks like, the end brings forth death. Verse seven says, therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. So, you know, I'm reading this fast, but you need to read it slow. Just let it permeate. It says, lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed and say, how I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. Remember Pharaoh? You know, every time Moses would go to him, instead of repenting, when you and I don't repent, what does the Bible say that'll happen? It says his heart was hardened, right? And it says God hardened his heart. Well, if you study that in the Hebrew language, what it means is God solidified his heart. God didn't make his heart hard. He didn't design it that way. But Pharaoh, because he kept rejecting God, he would not repent, would not turn to the things of God. God said, then your heart will become hardened. And guess what? When you and I don't repent of our sin, when we continue to walk in it, we become hardened to the the things of God. I love, you know, Pastor Greg Laurie, I've shared that with you a bazillion times. He said, you know, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. Because what does it do? It'll harden your heart. And he says in verse 12, and say, how I've hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. We can tell you somebody whose life that we love, that we look back at the Old Testament was King David in Psalm 51, right? I mean, David recognized, you know, that he went down a path. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You read 1 Samuel, where was he? It says in the springtime when the kings were all at war, David was back at his palace. And what was he doing? He's out there walking on the roof and he sees this woman, you know, bathing. That's where she comes up with the name, Bathsheba. Wow. And he's looking out and he looks and he's like, yeah. And wrong place, wrong time. Ends up committing adultery with her. They have a child. God brings judgment. That child dies. God, in his grace and mercy, gives them another child, and what? And that child becomes a king. And you go, that's God's grace working in our life. But you look at this, and here's someone who, again, Solomon can share this. This is coming from his family tree. And, and of God, it says that, you know, David was man after what? God's own heart. But he had a tremendous failure, and Solomon has a tremendous failure in his life. But what is he telling him? If you've got to summarize verses 7 through 14 here, what does he say? He's saying, you know, in the truest sense, pursue the things that are good. Pursue the things that are good and get away from the things that are bad. And how do you do that? Man, it's surround yourself with people who are headed in the same direction that you're wanting to go. I mean, it's been well said, you know, whether it's psychology, sociology, you look at the five people, pick the five closest people in your life, and that'll tell you basically where your life is headed, the direction that it'll ultimately end up. You know, because again, it's like this. You know, how, many, how many grew up playing sports? Raise your hand if you played sports at all. And in, in playing sports, you know that a coach could get more out of you than you could get out of yourself, right? Like if you had to run, like they call them wind sprints, right? and your coach is making you run. Did anybody ever like not like their coach when they made you run? Yeah. I mean, we used to like say really bad things. I mean, that I'm thank God for forgiveness because 
uh, I would go to hell for the things that I said about my coach just because he made us run because he would tell us, okay, two more sprints. And then somebody would do what? They'd dog it, right? They'd be lazy. And then you'd go, one more. And then you want to kill not only the coach, but you want to kill your teammates at that point. So murder's in your heart. I mean, all these things are happening. And you realize, you know, then if you win as a team, all of a sudden your coach isn't a bad guy or a bad girl after a while. You know, you start going, wow. They, because they did what? They brought out more in you than what you could bring out in yourself. That's what a good spouse does. That's what a good friend does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's why he's in our life. To what? To correct us, to convict us of sin and of righteousness, to remind us, to bring to remembrance the things that God wants us so that we have direction. We know, you know, where to go. But again, you think about how many, <laughs> how many ever had your parents tell you this growing up? Bad company corrupts good morals. Did your, friends or, did your parents say anything like that? Like, don't hang around that person because they're going to take you down. Did your parents ever tell you anything like that? Yeah, raise your hand. How many were that person that somebody's parents warned them? Yeah, you know, yeah. It's like, wow, you got saved? You go, yeah. What's the bigger yes here? In, in light of Proverbs 5, the bigger yes is sexual purity. See, when you, again, and I love this because it's like a proverb. It'll, it can stick. It's a pithy statement that packs a powerful punch that if you're going to say no to something, you have to have a bigger yes. And that's what we're reminding ourselves of. That's what God is stirring in our heart. If you're going to live a sexually pure life, then you've got to understand, you know, that this is, we're making eternal decisions here, things that are going to impact us for all eternity. And I want you to understand the decisions you make with regard to your sexual identity and your sexual practice will have eternal consequences in your life, not just temporal, but eternal. And again, we'll look at that next week. And like I said, that's your homework assignment to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 there. And so, again, here's Solomon going, hey, if you get into that situation, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there's no temptation that's not common to man. That in every temptation, God makes a way of what? Escape, right? And what's the escape? You know, this is the dilemma. People go, oh, the escape would be whatever. You know, you go, no, the, the escape's the same for every single person. The escape is the cross, it's the cross of Jesus Christ. I mean, otherwise it's like this. I've heard studies and I don't question the sincerity. I think I've done it myself. As a youth pastor, I'd go, well, you know, so what do you pray? You go, Lord, if you don't want me in this situation right now with my girlfriend, um, make her parents come home. Uh, they went out of town, but you know, but if you don't want me to be in this situation, they'll come home right now. So then you could sit there and go, well, God must not have cared that I was in that situation because her parents didn't come home. It's just a lie that you tell to yourself. Lord, if you don't want me in this position, make the telephone ring right now. No, trust me, the devil works for AT&T. No, I don't mean that. You might work for AT&T. Forget that. But I just meant he'll make it where you, the phone won't get answered, okay? So we have to understand the cross is our escape always. Keeping the cross ever before us, understanding Jesus. I mean, if Jesus was right there, and that's how you got to think of it, because he, he lives in you. That's what we're celebrating in communion, right? Think about this. Do you want Jesus watching what you're watching? Do you want Jesus listening to what you're listening? Do you want Jesus saying what you're saying? Do you want him participating? Because he's there with you. And you go, oh, Pastor Mike, I don't want that. No, I want you to have that vision. I want to have that vision. Why? Because that's what's going to keep us safe, is knowing he's there, that he's right there with us, that he's listening. 
And he's doing what? He keeps really good records. Really, really good records. We'll see this as, as we go along. You know, is there anyone in Scripture you can think of that gave their strength to another? I think of Samson, right? Great study. Study the life of Samson. You know, playing around with sin, thinking, you know, ah. And you go, why? And you go, because we become jaded. We become clouded. That's the thing about sin is short-sightedness there. So verse 15, these are just passages we read last week. He says, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad and streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times and as always be enraptured with her love for why should you my son be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress so again if i'm going to summarize verses 15 through 20 there is resist sin resist the sin that that makes its way into all of our lives again you know flee the temptation you know again understanding this i shared this with you last week you know sin and its you know excuse me Sex in its proper context is beautiful before God because he created it. It's the devil who's tainted it because of the fall. So when you think about this, I shared with you, I gave you an example. I said, you know, dirt in my flower bed is good, but dirt on my kitchen floor is not good. And that's the same thing with sex. Sex outside of marriage and only the marriage relationship is always sin. It's always wrong. It'll never be good. You can't say, well, I love you. No, you can't say that because love, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is what? What's the first thing that love is? Patient. If you loved her or you loved him, then you would wait until it was in the right context. No one can say, well, we do love each other. I go, I know what you're trying to say, but you can't. Let God be found true and every man a liar. If you love that person, you'd wait. And if you haven't waited, then it, confess it to God and admit it and then establish the accountabilities. Get the you know, security in your life to protect you from going back down that road again. We all need that. You know, again, it's just like sleep. If too much sleep, it's laziness, right? But proper sleep, everybody needs sleep. So it's not like God saying, well, sex is always wrong. It isn't. Sex in the wrong context is always wrong. Wrong, And this is where I think people start to get sideways because they practice sex in the wrong context. And what happened? Because they did that, now they see all sex being bad. And you go, no, it's just like, you know, we talk about the sin of uh, adultery. And, and you've had people that, you know, they've committed adultery and then, you know, get convoluted in their bibliology. And they think that, well, then I either can't marry that person or I have to marry this person or I can't go back to this person. And you go, no, understand this, there's grace. Okay, if you continue practicing the sin of an adulterer, then you're an adulterer. If you committed adultery with someone and you married that person, you cannot be practicing adultery any longer because you're now married to that person. It's only the sin is defined by the act is that when you're having sex with an married person, you go, if a person was married and got divorced, whether it was right, wrong, or indifferent, the law actually supports it. Jesus said it when he talked about Moses. Moses permitted you certificates of divorce, he said, due to the hardness of your heart. Well, you can't argue, did Moses permit certificates of divorce? He didn't get into what was the attitude of your heart. He allowed it. 
and Jesus honored it. And he'll do the same thing in our lives. You go, is there a consequence? Yes. And we need to talk about those things and we will talk about those things, but there is forgiveness. So if you're here and you failed miserably in that area of your life, know that there is forgiveness. It's why we come to the Lord's Supper. It's why we celebrate what Jesus did for us on the cross. Verse 21, it goes on and we'll finish with this. It says, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all of his paths, his own inequities and trap the wicked man and he's caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for a lack of instruction and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. So the fourth point to summarize this, there's no secret sin. That, that's what we have to understand. You know, you're not hiding anything from God. There, there's two judgments that are going to take place one day. There's the great white throne judgment, right? That's, the, that's where the non-believers will stand before God and their lives will be judged of everything that they've ever done in their life. And they'll be found guilty because the Bible is very, very clear on that matter that there's none righteous, no, not one. So when people say, oh, I can't wait, I'll stand before God, you know, go for it. You're not going to like the end result of it. But you and I, the Bible says, aren't going to be standing at that judgment because of the cross, because of what Jesus has done for us. We're going to stand at what is called the Bema Seat Judgment, where we're going to give an account. And this is why it's so important, because we have many today that would call themselves Christians who are either committing fornication or they're committing adultery. And Paul makes it perfectly clear when we stand at the Bema Seat, we're going to give an account to the Lord of those things that we did in what? Our body since we became a believer. And this is why sex sins are worse than other sins, because the Bible makes it clear, and we'll, and we'll cover this next week. Every sin is a sin outside the body. I, and, and the way I can demonstrate this to you, can you remember every lie you've ever told? No. Can you remember everything that maybe you have stolen in this life? Probably not. And even by accident, you know, there's commission. And, you know, have you ever, you ever walked out, you know, of a restaurant or something without paying? and not even thinking about it. It happens all the time for Christians because they'll do what? They'll bring the check to the table, right? And you're sitting there with your friend and you're, and you're there for another hour. And then, you know, you just get up and you guys are hugging <laughs> and you walk and you walk outside and then you realize, oh my gosh, I still have the check. So you go back in. They didn't come after you. You know, the cops didn't come after you. You go, but you walk back in. Hey, yeah, sorry, I didn't pay the bill. Some people get all the way home. Some people eat something in the grocery store. And they go, oh, I'm going to pay for that. And they, you know, I always love you watch women walking around the grocery store. Men, you know, they just throw the wrapper back in the, in the, in the shopping cart. They don't worry about it. And oh, yeah, I ate this on the way. Well, women, will, but they'll put the wrapper in their purse because they don't want to be looked upon as being a thief. So they hide it, but then they forget. They ate it in the store while they were shopping. They get home. And, God. You know, I'll tell them the next time I, I go in. And you go, yes, it doesn't mean that you, you, that you were, but you go, we've all failed. We've all fallen short. We don't remember those things. And I can tell you this. I have yet to meet a person who has sinned against their body. That's what the Bible says, that you sin against your own body. That you don't, you, you don't just walk away from that and go, oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. Now, for some people, sadly, it's destroyed their lives. There's many who are single today that won't get married because they were abused in a sexual relationship by somebody that they loved and who they trusted. And I'm talking about in a heterosexual relationship that, you know, it's where a couple goes, you know, I know we're not, you know, we haven't made this right, you know, with the government, but, you know, 
let's just pray and we'll make it right before God. I can't tell how many singles. I did singles ministry for years uh, in a large singles ministry. You know, and they go, well, then the guy, most of it was never a girl. I've never heard this. I can't say that it couldn't happen, but it was always a guy who said, well, we can just pray and we'll ask God to sanction our relationship. And, you know, therefore we're right before God. No. And you know what? It comes back to bite you because distrust, you know, again, and it's like this, and, and this might sound really harsh in this. I'd rather have it be harsh where it gets our attention and then you let the grace of God just massage it into your heart. But think about this. The sin of fornication and the sin of adultery are the same act, right? One is inside of marriage, one is outside of marriage, right? Can a person who commits fornication be forgiven of God? Yeah. Can a person who commits adultery be forgiven of God? And you go, okay, so if you're a fornicator, and you were having sex before marriage, and you know that you're forgiven of God, what's to stop you from being an adulterer after you get married? You go, because you love the person? You go, I mean, those are the things that we need to think about. You know, that you go, no, you're probably, that, that's an act in our life. That becomes something that becomes perpetual. Then it just continues on. We go, well, God forgave me of that one. He'll forgive me of this one. And I can't tell you how many people I've had that conversation with. So I just know that from from experience and dealing with people that are having to deal with that sin. But you don't just forget it. It doesn't just go away. It stays with you. And there's a reason for that because of the, the image of God that we were created in and how detrimental it is when it's outside the will of God in our life. And so, again, important stuff. You know, Galatians 6 puts it really into perspective. And I'll close with this. You know, for whatever a man sows, that too what? He shall reap. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. He does love us. But we reap what we sow. If you sow to the flesh, the Bible says you'll do what? You'll reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you'll reap what? Life. But it's a choice that you get to make and I get to make. And my hope is, you know, as we look at this over today and next week, that we choose life, that we choose life in the spirit, that God isn't a killjoy, that it's not that he doesn't want us to have pleasure, but he knows that when we do things that are out of the context of scripture, in the confinements of scripture, we hurt ourselves and we hurt God. And, uh, and hopefully that matters to you. And I believe that it does. And so I just want to say this, you know, again, I don't want it to come up that it's harsh, that, you know, hey, if you've done this, that, you know, uh, Man, it's the worst possible thing. You know, no, the worst possible thing that any human being can do is to die without ever coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and coming to him and allowing him to his blood that was shed on Calvary's cross to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, amen, and to experience the joy of the Lord that's in his presence where we have a clear conscience. It's not because we're perfect. It's because he's perfect, but we're not using our relationship you know, as a freedom to continue in sin, but we're recognizing the price that he paid on that cross was so that we don't have to continue to live or to walk in sin, amen? And may God give us that freedom and may we rejoice in that. And so I'm gonna invite the, the worship team to come forward and, you know, we're gonna sing this, this song and I want you just to, to, you know, enjoy this moment of just worshiping the Lord. Don't, don't open the, you can open it, but don't, don't take it. We're, we'll receive communion together here in just a moment, but let's, let's worship the Lord. So I'll invite you to stand to your feet with me and let me pray for you um, in advance of this. I want to remind you, you know, John uh, shared this on Wednesday night uh, in communion at the end of the service. He read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and just we're reminded of this, this truth, you know, is that before we receive communion and it's important to take a few moments, kind of slow the pace and Paul 
he had admonished the church there in Corinth. He said, examine yourself. Examine yourself. Are you in the faith today? Are, is he the Lord of your life? You know, we could say he's Savior, but Jesus said, but am I Lord? You know, I had a gentleman come up to me after a church and he said, Mike, you know, remind the church in second service. Our prayer as believers is, is you know, God, you know, on earth as it is where? In heaven. That our lives would match up with what God is desiring to do in heaven. And that's such a great word. So examine yourself. You go, is the life that you're living now on earth... Is it a true reflection? You know, if God was to come today, are you, are you excited, you know, that we'll transition from this into glory? Or are you going, oh man, this is like opposition. As you go, well, then deal with those things. Examine, do not take or receive communion in an unworthy manner. Let God search your heart as David would pray in the Psalm. Search me and know me, O God, and know my anxieties and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. He wants to lead us in the way of everlasting. And so if you're in failure mode today and you recognize there's sin in your life, maybe it's not even sexual sin. Maybe it's just something blatant, you know, uh, God just will quicken it to your heart and your mind is confess that to him. Knowing that if we confess our sin to him, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you can enjoy this moment. You can walk out of here today free in Jesus Christ, free to worship him, free to share his love with other people, not bound by your past because you aren't who you once were. You are who God says you are. Amen. You are a Christian. You are a child of God. And that's what we celebrate today. So Father, use this moment of worship. Help us to just prepare our hearts for just this wonderful time of just communing with you. We give you this time in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Enjoy this. And then again, there's stations here and in the back there. And then hold on to it and we'll take it right before we send you out in song today. A fight is with weapons unseen. Your enemies crash to their knees. As we rise up in worship When trials unleash like a flood The battle belongs to our God As we cry out in worship
Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful that he is not shaken. Amen. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, and so as we receive communion here this morning, you know, we take that bread and I invite you as you hold it in your hand, you're reminded, you know, that Isaiah declares that it was by his stripes that we're healed. That everything Jesus suffered through wasn't just because of us, but that we'd be reminded today it's for us as well. Amen. He did it for us. He did it for you that we could experience not just heaven, but we could experience the joy of having a relationship with God 
as we walk through this life, that we could know him and we could know his pleasure, we could know his favor. And so with joy today, take that bread, thanking him and praising him. And in the same way, the cup this morning, again, all this, he said, you know, as, as often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. It's good to remember the Lord, amen? It's good to remember what he did for us, that he died to save us, not just to save us from hell, but to save us from sin, that we can live a victorious life today in him. That we think about his death and his burial and his resurrection and his coming kingdom, that he's coming again. He said, do this as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me until what? Until I come again. And then we're gonna enjoy what? Sitting down with him at the marriage supper of the lamb, that we're gonna be seated with him in glory one day. So again, we have a bigger yes. We can say no to all the things of the world because of Jesus, amen? You know, he's our hope and that's where we put our hope today. And so with joy, take the cup today, praising him and thanking him, knowing as the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there remains no forgiveness of sin. This is our proof. Our sins are forgiven. If you're in Christ Jesus today and he is your savior, he's the Lord of your life, your sins, my sins, they are forgiven. We are free. As he said, Jesus said, he who has the son is free. He who has the son is free indeed. We have reason to sing today, amen? Amen. I'll invite you, let's stand to our feet. We'll send you out with song. If you need prayer for anything, we're here. We love you. We're blessed by you. Uh, pray again for our country. Pray for this COVID virus. Pray that God would just heal our land. And I believe that he's doing it through his church. And so be strong in him and the power of his might this week. Amen. Have a wonderful, wonderful week in Jesus. And we'll send you out with that.